Welcome to CBUS Speaks, a podcast series by Tenfold, featuring real talk between Columbus leaders and the next generation. Welcome back to CBUS Speaks. Today, we are so excited to have on a truly inspiring guest. Ron Pizzuti is chairman and CEO of the Pizzuti Companies, which he founded in 1976. He oversees all aspects of the company's operations in Columbus, Chicago, Orlando, and Nashville. His vision and business acumen have established Pizzuti as one of the fastest growing and most sought after real estate firms in the country. Ron is also a past chairman of the Ohio Cultural Facilities Commission and current trustee of the Wexner Center Foundation. He's a past chair of the boards of the Columbus Museum of Art and the Columbus Symphony Orchestra and is now a trustee for life in both organizations. In addition, Ron has spent time as chairman of the board at Kent State University, member of the drawing committee of the Whitney Museum of American Art, trustee of Columbus College of Art and Design, and a Madison Square Park Conservatory Board of Trustees member. Welcome, Ron. It's truly a pleasure to have you with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, you know, you were born in Kent, Ohio. Growing up, what was it like? You know, what was your family situation like, your upbringing? Did you always have these dreams of being a creative entrepreneur and, and businessman? I, I had dreams of being successful. Uh, I didn't know which what path I was going to take. Uh, my father was a factory worker. He was an immigrant. Uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, we had a, uh, an interesting childhood that we moved a lot in the same city. We moved nine times uh, between kindergarten to 12th grade. Uh, and we ended up living a half a block from the campus at Kent State University. So uh, it was, we were around a lot of educated people. I was fortunate. I have a brother and a sister. We all went to the university school tuition free. And it took me many years to realize what a, what a great education I, I was receiving. Uh, we did. We just. We had uh, great sports activities. We had great music. We learned to read music early on. Uh, I learned to write, uh, and we just had a, a really strong, uh, strong group of educators take you know watch it over us. Uh, we had because of the university, we'd have five, six teachers at a time, uh, so we had uh, lots of individual attention, and it, it was good. Uh, had because of where we were, where we had. Uh, uh, a, a fair amount of discrimination. There were uh, there were kids in, in the on the block who were not permitted to play with the Italian boys and girls. So, uh, and uh, but that that has passed. My dad used to say that that, that at some point in time in in, in my lifetime the, there could be an Italian American president, and it probably won't happen in my lifetime, but at some time it will. Uh, but all in all, I had a great childhood. That great mother, great dad, and uh, you know two siblings that are still around and we get along really well. So growing up, were there any like people or, or mentors in your life? Because I know a lot of young people are kind of looking for mentors and people to mentor themselves. Were there people like growing up that pushed you into pursuing a college education and, and were really impactful on your life? Well, my parents, you know, I didn't realize until I was in college that, you know, that, that, uh, the, the, uh, that I was going to be educated for 16 years and had no choice. And, and I, so it's just a foregone conclusion that I was going to go on. Fortunately, I lived in a college town. Otherwise, uh, I don't know what I would have done. I, I applied, when I applied to schools, yeah, all you needed was a high school diploma, uh, and I applied to Miami and Brown, and uh, which were dream schools for me. And I ended up at Kent State and had a a, a really really wonderful time there. Uh, it, it changed my life, big time, and I I still support it and still uh, still go back. 
uh, served on its board for 12 years, served as its chairman for part of that time, uh, ran a capital campaign. Uh, so I've been, I've stayed involved with the university and founded a fraternity while I was there. So, uh, so I guess my career started uh, after high school. Earlier you mentioned you always knew you wanted to be successful. What was this idea of success to you when you were going through high school and then eventually college? What did success look like? Well, I think at that point in time, it, it, was, it settled around the dollar bill. It, it, was, it was, you know, I, my parents were not, you know, we, were, we didn't know we were poor. You know, we lived in a 700-foot house, five of us. Uh, the shower was in the basement, and it was, it was clean. We always had food on the table. It was always warm in the winter and cool. No, actually, it was warm in the summer, too. We didn't have air conditioning. Uh, and then... Uh, subsequently, I realized that there was more to life than, than making money. So, you know, after you go through this uh, great experience of college education that you had at Kent, you know, how did you find your way to Columbus? Let our listeners in on, on that story, because I think it's a it's an impactful one. Well, today, uh, uh, kids your age uh, decide where they want to live and then they then they look for a job. Uh, I had to find a job. And initially, I, I accepted a position at Goodyear Tire and Rubber uh, on their squad. Uh, they, it was a good deal for me. It, was, it, it paid uh, $650 a month. And uh, they would put me through grad school after a year. And I, made, I was w- working on a government contract, so I would have been draft exempt during the Vietnam War. And I never reported for work. I just, I just didn't, I was, I, I, I'll, I'll go to the army, I'll do whatever I have to do. And I had a, a great professor at Kent, Paul Pfeiffer was his name. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to get you an interview at Lazarus Department Store. And I had worked at a, a retail all through college and I uh, came down and they had already, uh, they, they had a, a, traditionally a class of 20 and they'd already filled their class, and they hired me. So I was number 21, and it's the best job I've ever had. Uh, and so anyway, the point is, I found a job. That's where I lived, and it was just it was fortuitous. It was just fortunate that I ended up in this city because I, I love Columbus, and it's uh, it's been been good to me and good for our family. And it it, it, it it's just been a it's been a wonderful place. I, I couldn't live anywhere else. So you know, being like the 21st employee that Lazarus hired. Did that come with a lot of responsibility, you being at such a young young age coming into that business, or was it more of an entry-level position? Oh, it was definitely an entry-level position. We were called, uh, 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 my title was head of stock, and I was assigned to the fifth floor fabric department, and I called my dad, told him I was working in yard goods, and he told all my friends at home that I was selling lawnmowers. So, <laughs> so I had I had a I had a great career there. I spent almost seven years there and ended up uh, the merchandise manager and uh, was I was the only single male buyer in the store when I left the store. Uh, they they felt very strongly that you had to have responsibilities. You had to, you know, you had to have a mortgage and a and a, and a car payment and a, and uh, little ones to support. Uh, so I, I loved it there. I, to this day, I, I, it was still the best job I've ever had. You know, after that time spent at Lazarus, you kind of made a decision to, to leave and go work for the Limited? Well, Les Wexter was my roommate, and uh, he had bugged me for a long time to join their family business. And I was making a, a, a really good living at, uh, 
at, at Lazarus at the time. Uh, and I ended up going to work for less, uh, for uh, like a, I saw, saw him talk about numbers, but a thousand dollars a month and a, and a used cutlass. And uh, it was it was just, uh, it, was, I, it was a whole new learning experience for me. I got to see the world, I got to travel. I traveled at Lazarus, but I really saw, you know, much of the rest of the world after that. And it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. I was there about the same, same number of years I was at Lazarus. So you, you joined the Limited in, I mean, that company helped shape what Columbus is now. Oh, absolutely. What, what was that like to kind of watch that happen? Well, I'd like to say I helped it happen. Yeah, <laughs> so right. Just, to be a part of that transition. Uh, to be a part of it. Uh, it was just, uh, it, it, I, it was like starting over. I, was, I, I, I had executive status at Lazarus, and I, part of my responsibility was to change the light bulbs at, 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 at North the Northland store and uh, there were times where we swept the floors after the store closed and so and it's just but it was it was a very exciting time uh, Les had great vision and uh, you know we had when I joined there were the fourth store had just opened uh, and uh, so I was, I, I traveled a lot. Uh, I was vice president of merchandising was my title at the time. And uh, anyway, it was uh, it was uh, fun to open the first store outside uh, the Columbus market, which was in Dayton, and then outside the, the regional market with, in Milwaukee. And it was just an experiment to see if we could run a store from uh, from another location. And, and similarly to what we did at Lazarus, you know, when I was there, there were no branches that Westland, Eastland, Northland all opened uh, while I was there. So what were you seeing going on in Columbus at the time? What was what was happening to the infrastructure, the community in Columbus? And how did that work you guys were doing help change that? Well, the the uh, I go back a few years uh, that what I think one of the most visionary mayors Columbus has ever had was Maynard Sensenbrenner. And uh, he probably wasn't the smartest guy and uh, didn't have the brightest star in the galaxy but he was he was his he had he had visions for this for central ohio and had it not been for him and what the and the lay leadership at the time uh we wouldn't have a 270 or a 71 uh and the, the the lazarus folks were very strategic uh, if you look back, uh, none of you are old enough but if you look back uh, the 60s when when uh, Northland opened uh, and happened to be at a major interchange uh, of 71. Uh, and the same thing happened with, well, Westland opened first. So Northland, Eastland, Westland were all at major interchanges. Uh, and then 270 went on the books. And, uh, and Jimmy Rhodes was governor at the time. And they just, they, the, the two of them combined had a great deal of vision. Uh, they also envisioned, and these plants are probably sitting on a a, a dusty shelf somewhere uh, of an outer outer belt. Uh, Eight seventy was was to encircle the 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 the, the community of central, central Ohio and hit Johnstown and and cities south and and west. Uh, but it never got built. And there were spokes designed from two seventy out to what was what would have been eight seventy. Um, but uh, so there was a, a great deal of emphasis on building infrastructure then. And that propelled a lot of businesses to uh, to locate. I mean, Dublin wouldn't exist, for example, word for Jack Nicholas. Uh, but uh, he wouldn't have gone there if there wasn't transportation to uh, to service the northwest quadrant of the city. 
Right. So you think you, you think that the transportation aspect of it really put Columbus on the map and said, this is a, oh, oh, a doable I, I, city. Absolutely. Yeah. But we didn't have any boundaries. I'd like Cincinnati as the river. I'd like Cleveland as the lake. Uh, we could we could still expand. I mean, look what's happening today. This, this is the most exciting city in the Midwest. You know, you talk about coming to Columbus just because you found a job as you kind of got to Columbus and realized what the city was about during your time here. Doubling down on the leadership, what is it about the leadership of Columbus throughout the years that has been such almost like a selfless, civically-minded leadership that makes the city more of a special place? Well, I think you just said it. It is. It's. It's uh, even today. Uh, even the long leadership that's coming on is is uh, drinks the same water. You know, that <laughs> old wise tell that, that that this is an entrepreneurial city because of the it's in the water, uh, and it, it's just we've been very lucky that just every generation that comes along. There's. A, it, it, I don't worry about the future of this city because there's, even today there's another group of leaders that uh, young leaders that are going to take take the reins and take on the responsibility that's left behind by those who, you know, who, who, who began a trend or began a movement. So we know you have a huge involvement here in the sports community, and we think the creative community, the sports community, they're all so important to Columbus. What was your role in, in building that here? Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Greg Lashatko was mayor at the time, and he asked me to, to see what we could do as a city to get professional sports uh, to Columbus. Because at the time, uh, Ohio State football and basketball and some minor sports, the only, the only, the only sports were, were really played and recognized in the community. And I had a friend uh, who was married to uh, Wendy Lazarus, one of Charles Lazarus' daughter. And he came to Columbus for Thanksgiving and he had just taken out a new job with what was going to be Major League Soccer. And his job was to travel the country look at, at cities for, you know, soccer franchises. And I says, uh, are we on the list? He says, oh, hell no. <laughs> you know, he, was, he says, there's just no way that, 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 that they're, they're going to consider Columbus. So the next day, the day after Thanksgiving, I picked him up and we toured Ohio Stadium. We toured the facilities at Ohio State. We went to every major high school stadium in, in, in the vicinity. And... To, to show him that we had facilities that were available immediately. And he says, it is, it is going to happen. I said, well, what would it take it? He says, sell 10,000 season tickets. So without boring you with all the details, we put a group together. We sold 11,655 season tickets. And P, uh, big uh, Pepsi and Kroger uh, came, bought several hundred each. And we just said, but we sold a lot of individual tickets. There was a hunger for soccer. Because it was, you know, it was it's an easy sport uh, for for kids to get. It's it's inexpensive. You don't have to buy a lot of equipment. So there were just literally thousands of kids in Columbus already playing soccer in the grade school and and in the high schools, um, and they had to look at us. Uh, so they did, and without boring with all the details, we got the franchise, and then we had to come up with the dollars. So we ended up going to we went to several people and actually i sold some partnerships uh, but the big money came from the hunt family from lamar hunt and so there were probably i don't know 11 or 12 investors in the team and uh, they, we ended up going to ohio stadium uh joel ended up 
uh, with a job. Uh, this is after he left our Orlando operation, and he ended up he ended up with a job, and he had a, uh, a probably a job that was beyond him. And boy, he knocked him dead. And and his job was to to set up the stadium, and so they were expecting a maximum of twenty thousand fans in a stadium that seated over a hundred thousand at the time. Uh, and and you know it's history now, and it's just it it's uh, thank God it's been re reincarnated. So we ended up with a soccer team, uh, and then we went to the NBA. And I remember walking into David Stern's office, and he was, uh, he, was uh, he made me look tall. And he was he was he was on the phone, and he pulled his arm out. He says, "The president." of the United States. <laughs> and, and he says, what are you doing here? And we told him, he says, there's no way. Uh, and he was right. The NBA had, had absolutely no interest. So the, the, we, we knew we couldn't get football because Ohio, the university would, you know, would, would, would really, Ohio State would have a real problem with it. And we also had a team in Cleveland and a team in Cincinnati. So we went to the Hockey League. And they were lukewarm. But what really convinced them to look at us was the success of the ticket sales of the hockey team, of the of the soccer team, and so we ended up putting together mostly most of the same families and same investors uh, were the early investors in the in the hockey team, and uh, God bless John McConnell because he came up with the bulk of the money. We had to raise about a hundred million dollars, and eighty million of it uh, went for the the franchise. And then it was about fifteen million dollars in operating operating money that was that was needed, and uh, so he came to the forefront. Uh, you may not remember, but there was a, also an issue, issue one on the ballot that November failed uh, because Ohio State was contemplating an arena and Columbus was contemplating an arena, and the the uh, the city the taxpayers weren't willing to to fund uh, the downtown arena. And uh, Diamond McPherson came forward and put up nationwide put up the money, and uh, and it's it's history now. So we are we are a, a city with two uh, very good franchises, uh, and the Haslams and the Edwards family resurrected the, the crew when it uh, when it moved uh, out of the, out of the city, and. Uh, so anyway, it's just a, it's just a, it's great, great, great fun. I mean, now we have the arena district. Now we have the arena district, and we're and there's a new crew stadium underway. And what what do you think it is about Columbus, the infrastructure of the city that allows for us to expand, allows for us to invite these teams and build teams here? You can get anywhere in Central Ohio in 20 minutes by traveling the freeways, and that goes all the way back to the early 60s uh, when, when the, the interstates were designed and the infrastructure of this community was put to bed. But, you know, going forward, you know, the previous owner of the crew wanted to move. What do you think was the, the reason that the Haslam family stepped in? And, and what are you excited about with this new development Pizzuti might be a part of downtown? Well, our, our role, uh, you know, we'll, we'll somehow be involved with the team, but our, our major role is going to be uh, with the with the dirt around this around the new stadium, and it'll probably end up being the best soccer specific stadium in the United States. Uh, Haslam's have a, a lot of vision. 
the Edwards family is, is as creative as any family in the city of Columbus. Uh, so the state, the stadium itself will be, will be, will be beautiful and it will be very, very functional and very inviting. Uh, but we think it's really important that everything around it. The problem with the existing crew stadium, there's nothing there. You go through a decrepit neighborhood. Uh, you keep your cars locked until you get inside the stadium. And the parking's not good. And there's nowhere to buy a, a, a meal or, a, or to buy a beer uh, anywhere around the stadium. Or if you're coming from out of town to stay. Uh, the, the, the whole downtown complex, Clipper Stadium, Nationwide Arena, and now the new Crew Stadium is going to really be uh, the, the envy of a lot of cities. So you describe Columbus as an entrepreneurial city. What was that like being an entrepreneur in Columbus and, and building your business? Take us back to that time when you started Pizzuti Companies. Well, we started in uh, 1976, uh, in, uh, actually in our living room, uh, and uh, was just two people on the payroll. My wife kept the books, and I, I uh, did everything else, you know. So, uh, and we. Uh, started out, I, I wanted to, my goal at the time, and that has since changed, was to build a portfolio uh, that I, so I could clip coupons and, and, and have enough rental income to support my family. Uh, and I soon realized that the, the part of, the, of our industry that I really dislike is, is, the, is the property management side, where you have to, you know, you're cleaning the bathrooms and, and getting the elevator fixed and uh, just doing, doing, you know, uh, high maintenance, if you will. Uh, but I got the bug and started in downtown. We started uh, buying buildings in downtown Columbus, and uh, most of them were in B locations, uh, and we gutted them and, and uh, had the guts at the time to empty them out and, put, you know, and, and remodel them and put all new tenants in. Uh, and that was the beginning. So we started, started to build a fort portfolio of, in, in downtown Columbus. Uh, and then we've since uh, we branched out. Our, our first venture outside the city uh, was in it was in Orlando, Florida, and uh, we built a, a really substantial portfolio there. I think if you go to Orlando today, there are people in that city who still think we're based there because uh, we worked hard at branding ourselves uh, in, in that in that community as a as a as a local entrepreneur. You know, what was really the inspiration behind going into real estate or development for you? Uh, I know you're an extremely creative person. When did you decide, like, that was where you wanted to take it? Because you had been in retail for a while with Lazarus well, and Limited. Well, still in retail. We retail warehouse space, office space, hotel rooms now, uh, land. <laughs> so we're still, and, and I, the principles, and if you ever talk to my son, Joel, he'll tell you the same thing. He says, we're, we're still retailers. Uh, so, uh, and we try to approach uh, our branding uh, in much the same way as what we did when we were selling sweaters and skirts and, you know, hot pants and what have you. Yeah, that's really interesting that you were really focused on the brand and the culture of the organization, even though you weren't necessarily selling clothes, but in real estate, do you think that's something that's overlooked sometimes where people focus too much on the portfolio and not about, you know, like building things that matter for the community? I think in any, any city you visit, you're going to find both types, both types of developers. Uh, early on, uh, the, 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 one, the one developer that I could single out was Gerald Hines. I, I just had so much admiration for what he did. Uh, at the time, it was only in the States. Now he's, he's, he's had projects all over the world. But he was able to find 
uh, great architects, great designers, and uh, put a lot of spent spent the extra dollar to to have good design. And I I hope people think the same of us. Uh, we've we've done we've, we use some of the best architects in the country and uh, and still continue to do so. And, uh, so we're getting back to I, we're still retailing, but we're reta hopefully retailing with uh, with a little style as well. So you're interested in impacting people with the design of spaces, and that's what we love at, at Tenfold. And tell us a little bit of, just about the thought that goes into the process of building these spaces and creating the right type of environment for what you're trying to create a space for. Well, I, I, uh, let me approach it this way. We, if we are, I think as a developer, very competitive with any market we enter, we're always more expensive than most of the others, but we, we deliver, we go the extra mile and deliver, I, I, hopefully a better product and a, and a, a, a you know, more pleasant product uh, and with you know, emphasis on, on aesthetics uh, as much as and, and, and aesthetics and quality materials in the process. So as you know, Pasuti companies continue to grow, you started Pizzuti Solutions in 2005, which you know really focuses on public-private partnerships, um, economic development, planning, those sorts of things. What do you think it is about the city of Columbus that allowed that part of the business to become so successful? Well, that part of the business became successful because the 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 country was in a in a, in a about to go to a recession, and. The reason we started Pizzuti Solutions is so that we could keep our payroll, keep our people working, and uh, all of a sudden we went after a different market. We went after uh, uh, higher ed, we went after nonprofits, and we went after governments and and our, the govern the, uh, the the county governments and the city governments really became very important to us. And we were not building for our portfolio any longer; we were building for them for a fee. And that enabled us to keep our our crew working, uh, and not have to. We didn't have to to let people go and eliminate eliminate jobs and lower salaries and what a lot of other people were doing at the time. So it seems like when you were faced with a a type of crisis, if you will, you had a solution to that in order to create a better a better life for your employees. And now we're facing another crisis in the world. What are some of the things that you've encountered that maybe are similar, different from what you faced in oh, the recession? Oh, they're different. Yeah. There's never been anything like what we're going through today. And uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to our industry, uh, what's going to happen to higher ed, uh, what's going to happen to school bond issues uh, when, when it's been proven that many of the large school systems get get along with out having physical plants operating uh, and in our case we've been uh, we, we we got down to uh, we have about 50 people working in columbus alone and we got down to four people going to the office and everybody else is working from home i have not been in the office since beginning of march uh, not loving it right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, just I'm, I'm tired of, I'm tired of, of, uh, and we got people scattered around. So, I've spent Joel, Joel, our son runs is running the day to day now. He's 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 been running the big projects for the last couple of years and doing a, a, a really great job. Uh, and I'm focusing more on the uh, on the art collection uh, than than I am the business these days. Like probably forty sixty. 
uh, I still go to the Monday meetings and, and I, I still call some shots. You know? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about this art collection a little bit. In Columbus, we know the Pizzuti Gallery and we know of this art collection. What, what was the initial inspiration for you to create this, this passion for art? Well, I, I, I can't draw a straight line without a ruler. <laughs> uh, and people tell me that I should be able to draw, and I, I, I make stick figures, and they're crooked. So I, but when I was, uh, tra- I, was go- I was traveling to Europe every five or six weeks, and I hit every cathedral and every bar or watering hole, and I just got tired of, of all of that. And one night I was in, uh, went to Montmartre, uh, and I was in Paris, and I walked into this gallery uh, about the size of uh, a, a third of this room, and there was a, a beautiful painting on the uh, on the wall that, that was done by Frank Stella. And I'd never heard of Frank Stella. I didn't know anything about art, uh, and I could barely spell it. So I was just I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. It was just I just absolutely loved this painting, and it was uh, it was ten thousand dollars. And I couldn't, and at the time, I was making just a little bit more than that. Uh, and I just, uh, so I came, came back to New York, and uh, the next day after work, I went to the New York Public Library and looked up Mr. Stella. And that was the beginning. And I just, I started to follow him. I learned a lot about his philosophy and just traced him all the way back to his days at Princeton and uh Till today, you know, I was uh, a couple, I don't know, about eight weeks, 10 weeks, maybe longer than that. At the beginning of the year, I was in a, I spent a day with him in a studio. And he's now in his 80s, still making great work. But that was the beginning. And uh, I couldn't afford the painting. Many years later, uh, oh, by the way, I learned that this was a maquette. It was just a study painting for a bigger one. And we own the big one now. And it's, 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 it's at our library at home. Uh, we've had it for, I don't know, about 30 years. And, so it's uh, so that was the beginning, and that just inspired me to 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 do some research. And uh, the Glimpshire, uh, Eva Glimpshire, had a gallery on East Broad Street, and so I wandered in there with 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 two of our kids uh, on a Saturday morning, and that was she she became a mentor, and I subsequently met Arnie, her son, and that was that was the start of it. For the first two or three years, we only collected work from. Pace Gallery, uh, and it was uh, I, the only time I've ever bought anything on time was with her, and we bought a a uh, Carol Appel print, a Dutch artist, uh, and we put a hundred dollars down and paid a hundred dollars a month. And when we were, it was fifty percent paid down. We were permitted to buy something else. So and that, that was that was the beginning. And then now we're just. Yeah, we're doing business all over the world, and and with a collection that's 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 global, uh, beyond. Uh, it's not only not only American works and not only prints. So it's a, but it's fun, and it's it's been my passion since the early seventies, uh, and it's contagious because uh, we have three kids, and all three of the kids are collectors, and they're all they're all interested and and much more knowledgeable than I was at their stage in life. So you talk about growing this passion of yours, this collection, which certain outlets have named it a top 200 art collection in the world. When did you decide after putting together the Pizzuti Gallery that this was something you wanted to kind of give back to Columbus, to the Columbus Museum of Art and Design? That, that's easy uh, because 
we the collection got big and it just it, it was just beyond what we could hang in our our home and and then we have we have uh, everyone uh, every office and uh, all in all of our offices uh, every person has a piece of original art in his or her office but the vast majority of the collection is warehoused in a, an unmarked building and i i'd have to kill you to tell you yeah not really it's, it's actually in grove city but it uh and it was just you know this is crazy this that we have all this wonderful art and it's time to share it so we bought a building uh in columbus on park street overlooking goodell park and uh, it was a almost it's now it's it's a 97 year old building today so it was built in 1923 and we gutted it and then started showing showing work and uh hired a, a curator and a director and just had a really really good time with it and published some i think some pretty special catalogs and then it got to the point where you know this needs needs, needs a bigger venue uh so we approached the museum uh, the columbus museum of art uh, to see if they were interested and, and then uh, we made a gift of the building uh and about i think a little over the, the, the press is 40 it's a little over 50 50 50 works of art and uh, so pretty pretty proud of it and, and uh, this pandemic has just interrupted everything because the building is closed uh and, and i don't it was supposed to reopen in september i i hope i'm hopeful it'll reopen before the end of the year but the museum's attendance is about 20 percent of what it was uh since it reopened the big museum so uh anyway it's been it's been a, a fun exercise it's been very fulfilling uh and we've uh we we still have oh, we have six people on on the payroll who do nothing but but uh work with the collection so what was that like building this collection in Columbus specifically, I mean, we we have the Short North Arts District. We know Columbus is so proud of art and the works that even local Columbus artists make. What was that like being in Columbus and, and collecting these works of art? And how did that cooperate with what you're doing? Well, at the beginning, it was very difficult because I my, I remember my first trip to New York and I walked into a gallery and introduced myself and and they said somebody out of the back room to take care of me <laughs> and, and, and it was fine at the time uh, and and then little by little we've we've built a reputation and and uh the collection has 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 an audience that goes beyond the confines of central ohio uh, and we pay our bills on time and i think that is a that, that's a, a a big issue uh and and we have a we set a policy early on and but we we don't pay. We pay once the work arrives in our warehouse, is inspected, and we, someone signs off on its condition, and then a wire or a check goes out that day. So folks in the industry know that they'll get paid promptly. And that has helped us in getting pick of the litter uh, among some of the major dealers of the world. Uh, and it's just, it's it's nice. it's a lot different than it was the first time when I had to spell Columbus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. So I'm I'm curious what you look for in pieces of art when you're when you're looking for art to collect. What is it that you're looking for? Well, what we don't look for is work that that we think is going to appreciate in value and, and and be able to sell down the road. Now we we have sold works and we've sold works that have appreciated in value. Uh, frankly, when we've had mortgage payments that that, that were due. 
and, and business was not, uh, not up to snuff. Uh, but basically buy what we like. And uh, it's, it's just paid off. I've been very, very happy with the, with the balance. We've, you know, we've graduated from prints to, to paintings, to sculpture, to drawings. Uh, and uh, so uh, now we, we've got a, during the last eight or nine years, we've, we've put together a, a pretty substantial design collection. And I'm, uh, we, have, we wouldn't need as big a warehouse as we have if it were for all the design furniture we now own. So. Do you have a favorite style of art? Well, we, we only deal in contemporary works. And, and the d definition of contemporary in the art world has changed. It used to be that, that contemporary works were anything, anything that was produced post-World War II. Uh, today, uh, my definition of it is post-1970. Uh, however, in the last, oh, probably 10 years, we've concentrated on 21st century work period. Occasionally, uh, if a great Frank Stella work shows up, it will fill in with it uh, from another period. Uh, but today, I just spent 90, 95% of my time is spent on pursuing work that was produced from 2001 to, to date. Uh, we've developed a, uh, a really, I hope, becomes an important uh, I can't say African American anymore because it's a black it's a black artist collection and it's, it's work from from the African continent plus uh, there's a lot of black artists in Europe. Uh, it's a big colony of black artists in Chelsea, New York, and in Brooklyn. And uh, uh, sometime it depends on when this pandemic ends. Uh, we'll, there'll be a major major show of black art uh, that I, I'm hopeful will tour uh, tour to New York and Chicago. Uh, and the goal is to have it at the Columbus Museum of Art, at the Bazzuti Collection, as well as other venues, Martin Luther King Center, Beeler Hall, uh, and uh, anyway. But God only knows when that's going to happen now. It was, it was supposed to happen next October. It, well, I, I hope it happens as, oh, soon, so as, <laughs> as soon as possible. We're looking forward to it when it does. So going back to kind of your story where you walked into that gallery in New York and you said you, quote, had to spell Columbus for them, right? As you've grown your company, your collection, you know, what is it that when you go to these other cities like Orlando and Nashville and all these places, what do you tell them about Columbus? Like what's special about Columbus to you? Well, I'm not sure that uh, when we went to Orlando, uh, I was more more concerned about becoming a resident of Orlando, and because not not physically living there, uh, but becoming a local, and we didn't uh, we didn't really focus on Columbus, uh, and and that was very deliberate. Now, over a period of time, you know, if you look at any press that that we get in Orlando, Florida. It's always, they always reference the fact that we're Columbus-based. Uh, but we didn't use Columbus as a tool. So do you think that some of these cities wouldn't have taken you as seriously back then because you were from Columbus? And did you like work hard to kind of change that narrative that we know that's not true, that there's so many great things going on in Columbus and great entrepreneurs? Well, it's, this is such an easy city to sell. You know, there and there's so many, so many businesses that that started here. You know, other than the limited White Castle, Wendy's, uh, and uh, Cover My Meds, and and uh, I, the Scantlin brothers are uh, among. You know, I made I, I made a list of people last night of, of of young people that are 
are, are going to be leading this city uh, the next, the next uh, I don't know, a couple decades probably. Uh, and the, the Scantland twins are certainly very close to the top of that list. And, and so they're, they're replacing the, the, the John McCoys and the Galbraiths and, uh, and, and the folks of my generation that came after those guys. So who are these next leaders and who are, you, who are you passing the torch to, the next leaders of Columbus? And what do you think their job needs to be? What do you think their next step is to keep growing Columbus and keep continuing this great community that we have? Well, I think they need, they need to do, exhibit the same kind of integrity that's, been, that's existed. This is a, uh, fortunately, there are, what, something like 17 universities within an hour of the center of Columbus. So... When there, whenever there is a, a dip in the economy and there is a recession or even a depression, uh, uh, we get affected less. Uh, and I think because of that, I think that the, 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 the recession or the depression of, of 2008, 9, and 10 uh, was a really good, it was a good thing for our community because we suffered so much less than Cleveland, Cincinnati, Toledo, you know, uh, Milwaukee, a lot of other cities around, uh, around, around the Midwest. Uh, and I think that helped retain people who were graduated from all these schools, helped keep them in the city uh, and keep them, uh, keep them here uh, in central Ohio. So Pasuti companies that you started in 1976, you talked about growing up living in a 700-foot house, now has developed more than 50 million square feet in the last 50 years. Um, you talk about your son Joel running day-to-day. -day. Looking back on like your legacy, is this something that you wanted to pass down to your family, it was never my goal or my wife's goal to transfer the business to, to any any of the three kids. Uh, and uh, I hired Joel uh, at a time when he needed a job, and uh, and his job at the time was to weed weed parking lots uh, in. <laughs> in what is now part part of the discovery district and he hated it you know? <laughs> and then we got a we we got we were shorthanded in orlando so i we sent him to orlando and uh i had to fire him because because uh when i when i i, I would call down for him and he was always on an appointment well, I soon discovered the appointments were on the tennis court of the golf course. <laughs> so <laughs> subsequently, uh, I I cannot tell you how proud I am of my kids. It just they're 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 all all stars today. And Joel Joel's running the business, and Joel will make me look silly at some point in time. And it's it's, it's already starting. He's got a great work ethic. He's got a great creative mind, and he is fortunately left brain and right brain. Yeah. Uh, and I like to think I am too, uh, and and I think that's that that I think that contributes to any of us who can go both ways and and you know be creative but still be fiscally responsible. And he's he is uh, he's got to be a real strong numbers person. And and uh, his well, if you look at the product we're delivering today, uh, the, the hotel in Nashville example will probably be. I think it'll be the the the, the smartest. Uh, best looking, hopefully most successful hotel in that part of the country. It is absolutely drop dead beautiful, uh, and so we'll, 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 it's going to open this month, and uh, probably with not many guests. But you know, I people people ask all the time, "What's your best, your biggest accomplishment?" Uh, there's no question in my mind. It's, it's, it's our three kids, you know, and I've got a, I have a great wife who was all was fortunately didn't work outside the house 
Uh, she worked in the business at the beginning, but from home, and she was there at 3.30 every day. And uh, it's just a bit of a role model for all three of the kids. And so, but uh, it, you asked about the next generation. And, you know, I, I think I, would, I, I, t I mentioned earlier, I made a list last night of probably, I don't know, 20 some young people uh, who are, are the next generation. And it's, uh, I don't have any worries about about this community i think it'll continue to grow it'll continue to grow in a real in a in a, in a real strong way uh just because of of what what's what's coming along but what i see in this community and you know and and, and the, and the young people coming on they're they're working hard and they're they're showing uh they're, they're showing that the, uh, they're ethical uh they're creative there's a really good balance uh, of 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 kids coming along and I think that has to do with, especially in Columbus, this ability for the young generation to communicate with the generation that laid this foundation for them in Columbus. Like the fact that we're sitting down with you right now for this podcast, it just shows the willingness to help. And I think that in Columbus, there is a, a willingness for generations to help each other. Have you noticed that or what do you? Oh, yeah. And, I, and I've, I've experienced it too as well over the years i've had some some real strong uh mentors in in this city uh and it's and i i, I pitch myself because i look back i remember when i met mr galbraith oh he was just i mean i i he was mr galbraith and 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 all of a sudden you know we find ourselves uh i, I have to put this humbly because we find ourselves in a situation where we're doing the same things that they did uh, and, and it's just, it's, you know, I think we're, we're, we're lucky to be able to, to, uh, to drink the water. So on that note, you know, it's, it's good to hear that you're confident about this next wave of leaders that's coming up. That was a big part of our podcast that to encourage these leaders that have found success, you know, to follow in the footsteps of, of your generation and also what you want to say personally to the next generation. So to kind of wrap up here, you know, what is it specifically that you want to say? Some some words of advice. Well, I think they, they need to learn from our successes and our mistakes. And, you know, and, and we haven't all uh, done everything uh, perfectly. And uh, I think they have to, to continue with the ethical standards that seem to be prevalent in, in this community. We haven't really... Had the 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 problems with, uh, I say this hesitantly because of what's happening to the Speaker of the House, but but in, in, in Toto, this this is this is a pretty ethic, ethical community. Lots of ethical businesses. We've had great leadership at the universities, and so and, and they've got to continue in the same pattern. But they also have to bring their own creativity to the front, and they also have to 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 bring. Uh, their their own ideas and i i'll tell you I, I the scantlin brothers are i think are, are ex, an example of that two very very successful businesses uh the, the tw they're identical twins and yet they've gone in different directions both of them are enormously successful both of them are smart both very creative and both have really good business minds and there and there are other families uh like that they're people in, in, in uh you know, the people in government, uh, Shannon Harmon will probably be, Harden will probably be uh, governor someday, you know, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's it, it, anyway, I, I, I could ramble on and, and probably give you a list of 20 people, but there, there's, there are, there are traditions that have been established, probably started 
50, 60 years ago that the need to be honored and respected. But at the same time, the, they, the, the, this next generation has to exercise their own creativity. Uh, and I, I see lots of evidence of that happening uh, on the political front. Uh, as well as in the business community, and as well as the cultural community, you know, we're we're going through a period now where, where there'll be a new museum director next year. We have a brand new great museum director at the Wexter Center. Uh, we've got a great orchestra. I hope they get to play again. <laughs> uh, but uh, at any rate, it's uh, I'm I'm confident that it's, that that this group's going to do the job. That's great. Well, it's so great to hear. And it's been great to hear from you today. Yeah, thanks so much, Ron. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come in here and sit down with us. Thanks for listening to CBUS Speaks. Keep up with the conversation on Instagram or Twitter with the handle at Tenfold Talks.